We're going to resume our study in the book of Acts this evening, and uh, tonight we find ourselves in Acts chapter 19. I want to read the passage of Scripture tonight, uh, beginning at verse 6 down to verse 20. The context is Paul finds himself in the town of Ephesus, where we left off last week with him. So Acts chapter 19 Beginning at verse 6, it says, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them, and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, Jew, and a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. We see in this last verse the, the influence and impact of the word of God as Paul is ministering to the people. That's what we want to look at tonight. The influence and the impact of God's Word in people's lives. Uh, just to get our geographic bearings, uh, he was in Ephesus, and uh, he, he's spending a little bit of time here with the believers. And the question here is, what is our disposition tonight when it comes to the same thing that's being posed to these people? Do we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? Now, we can almost automatically answer that uh, instinctively by saying yes, because we hopefully know that that's the right answer, but not just in our heads, but in practicality. Do we believe it in the way that we practice it in our lives? Do we believe in the power of God's Word? Because this is how God was working in the book of Acts, However, God is still working through his word. We have adopted, if you could say it, as our mission statement here at Anchor Baptist Church, the idea of changing lives with his unchanging word. 
God's word is, is, is sound, it's founded, it's not going to be adjusted. In fact, there's a curse if there is an adjustment to God's word. And yet we realize that it's not archaic, it's not passe. The word of God is still changing lives. You can take the scriptures and go into an entirely different culture where there's been no background in Judeo-Christian ideas from a family background or a cultural environment and you begin to just preach the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel and you see lives transform. This shows and demonstrates the power of the word of God and the gospel. That last verse ought to leave a taste in our mouth that causes our lips to smack for more. You know, it's like, wow, look at this. The word of God grew and prevailed how we would like to see that happen today. And I believe if we have faith and we really are obedient to God, we should expect to see that happening even today in the year 2020. This was also said in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, something along the same lines. It says, the word, talking about God's word, the word increased and the disciples multiplied. Again, that idea of growth, the influence and the impact. You might remember after Herod died of being eaten up with worms in Acts 12, 24, uh, a similar statement was made then. He didn't give the glory to God. He received it for himself when they said, oh, he talks like one of the gods. And yet when they saw how God had dealt so directly with him by smiting him, then they realized, wait, there really is power in the word of God. The word grew in this verse literally means to increase. It's the idea of a spread, if you would. Uh, it's going into different areas. I tend to think of evangelism, missions, more and more people being impacted. So it's the influence of Scripture. But then you have this word prevailed, and its base meaning means the idea of force. It's powerful. In other words, it makes an impact on the people it comes to. So here comes the word of God into new areas. And as it comes, it has an impact. And that's exactly what we want to see happen. As we're involved in local evangelism, we want to reach more and more people. And as we reach people and share the gospel, we want to see the impact as we share God's word. Here's, let me open the word of God and show you what the scripture is saying. How exciting it is to read missionary letters and to hear how uh, our missionaries give accounts of how they're able to talk with new people, new groups. They've had individuals come to uh, a Bible study. And it doesn't matter whether they're missionaries in the UK or whether they're in a, a high remote mountain village in Papua New Guinea or whether they're down in uh, Ecuador or in South Africa, wherever they are. Souls are souls. The, the thinking, the languages, the cultures, those may be different. But we still see that the gospel is God's power unto salvation. We need to remind ourselves of that. We need to notice it was not the church, but the word of God going forth from the church that had influence and impact. Now, this isn't to say that we don't have a role. We do. But we don't want to think that it's fundamentally about us. 
it's not about our programs. It's great to have programs, but programs ought to promote what? The Word of God. Uh, programs ought to teach the Scripture because it is our belief in what the Word of God can do, not what we can do. Uh, we would love for people to come in and find us friendly people and love our church, but that in of itself isn't going to change their lives. They, they, they might really enjoy the family atmosphere at Anchor Baptist Church and put roots down, but if that is a lost person and they also don't come to an understanding that they need to have their life transformed by the work of Jesus Christ, then how much good have, has, have we done for them as a church? And so, again, it's going to be more about their lives being transformed than just adding them to the, the membership roles of the church here. So why did the Word of God have a great influence and why did the Word of God have a great impact for these people? There's just a couple thoughts I'd like to give to you tonight. First one is this. We want to see the spiritual control of the Word of God. The spiritual control. And this is in verses 6 and 7. This is the Holy Spirit coming on them. Notice the emphasis there. He's coming on them and not in them. If you heard last Sunday night's message as we were talking about the Holy Spirit in greater depth, then you, you might remember the emphasis that I'm making here. The difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming into someone, something that's distinctive about the moment of salvation, but then there is the Holy Spirit coming on people in the sense of influence. Often this is described as being filled with the Spirit. And even in the Old Testament, we saw individuals where the Holy Spirit came on them and influenced them. Almost even people that don't seem to have any uh, call of the Lord to have that happen. They don't seem to be desiring it. Almost, for instance, King Saul. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes on him and he begins to prophesy. And the people around him are like, wow, is Saul one of the prophets? They, they're kind of in disbelief as they're watching this. Uh, we see Samson as a judge, the Holy Spirit, boom, coming on him, empowering him with this amazing physical strength that sort of befuddled everybody, which is, also tells me that they couldn't figure out the source of his strength. He probably wasn't this large, muscular individual, or otherwise they would have just said, well, that's why he's so strong, is because he, he works out regularly, you know? But no, it was the Holy Spirit that gave him incredible strength, and that was the Holy Spirit coming on him in that way it isn't until we come to acts chapter 2 that the holy spirit which was promised by the lord was coming into people and staying in them as far as the indwelling of the holy spirit in their lives but here we have the holy spirit coming on them in this case they were they had been taught to believe on jesus back in verse 4 once they did that, they were then baptized by water immersion in the name of Jesus. Believer's baptism, we still do that, verse 5. Then there is this special empowering of the Holy Spirit that happens in verse 6. And as they are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, then we have these unique things happening. Now, there's only 12 men here, the Bible tells us, but God had control of them. And don't we see God do amazing things with minorities? 
Don't we see the Lord do a lot with just a few? Your mind may go back to the book of Judges and the famous story of Gideon going against the Midianites, the massive trained armies of these intimidating, fierce people that hated God's people. And Gideon starts out with a, a larger group of thousands, and, and God keeps whittling it down until finally he has just these 500 soldiers and, and armed with torches and pitchers and, and horns and thinking, wow, how are they going to possibly do anything about you know, having victory in a situation like this? Well, it's like the little song goes, little is much when God is in it, right? Little is much when God is in it. Say, so why does God do that? Well, because I think it makes it very obvious that it is God that's the one doing it. You don't go away and saying, wow, what a great military leader Gideon was. You know, what a fierce army he led. Say, no, that was pretty remarkable. Joshua. He leads the children of Israel, which were brick masons. They weren't trained soldiers. And, and all that generation of brick masons had died off by this point, and it's their children. And so all they are able to do is be basically herdsmen and shepherds as they're taking their flocks through the wilderness, moving from point A to point B. And so how did they bring down the mighty city of Jericho? Circle around it a few times. Shout! And the walls come tumbling down. You know, can we expect that if we go out and circle a building that, and we just decide we're going to shout and bring down the walls that it's going to come down? No, the, the Lord had commanded and directed it that way. It was his power. But again, the glory goes to God. And wouldn't we always want the glory to go to God? And so God often works through the surprising small number of people. Little David, just a shepherd boy, not trained in warfare and yet he's able to take down a, a lion a bear and, and and when he comes out to see the philistines in array against the armies of israel he says how can we let you know is there not a cause how can we let this 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 philistine be speaking such blasphemous things about our god and so it's it's not as eliab claims that david's motive was that he was come with some mischievousness of his heart he really loved the lord god with his heart he was a man after god's own heart it grieved him that god was being blasphemed that way and that the armies that represented god were being intimidated as they were so he went out because of the cause that was there well god gave him the victory with a sling and a stone that brought down that, that enormous, intimidating soldier on the enemy side. So we have 12 simple men here. We have one simple apostle here. And yet, we have a very exciting story of what God is doing. When Paul writes from this same town of Ephesus, and he sends a letter to the town of Corinth, he writes in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, a great door and effectual is opened unto me. This is the idea. He's using it as an analogy, illustration. He says, you know, I feel like in my ministry here in Ephesus, God has opened a door of opportunity, and there's a lot of uh, effective ministry that can be done here. And he was very excited and enthused about that. Had he propped it, had he pushed this door open, he was seeing the Holy Spirit at work in these people's lives. 
He was simply being an obedient believer and servant of Christ. He was excited about the ministry opportunities that the Spirit of God was providing. It was to this church that Paul wrote later in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's, it's not really about other people. We look beyond what we physically see with our eyes. Yes, there may be people that oppose us. And of course, when he went into Ephesus, there were people that opposed him. But Paul had enough discernment to realize, yes, but there's a spiritual warfare that's underlying this. Friends, let me just tell you this. When we go through daily life and we're doing the ministry of God and we face opposition, it will all, almost always be encased in other human beings. But let's not get so caught up and bent out of shape about that person. Because beyond that person, we realize that the, the underlying cause here is our fundamental enemy, which is Satan. He's the one that hates us. He's the one that's, that's at foot and working this about and trying to frustrate the ministry of the gospel. And so we don't want to attach a, a, a negative sentiment against those people. Yes, they're responsible for their actions, but ultimately uh, Satan is the one that we're actually warring against. Secondly, I want you to see the spiritual conversation here in verse 8. They had very intense teaching here to benefit them. Notice the word disputing here uh, that is used of what Paul is doing here. What does that mean, disputing? Well, it literally means to talk through something. It means to take the time to, to hear what people are saying, the questions that they might offer, the concerns that they may have, understand their thought processes, and then to talk through, well, here's what the Word of God, here's how God answers your concerns, your questions, uh, the struggles that you're having. And they were obviously very impressed with this truth because the Bible uses the word persuade, which means to convince. And Paul invested time. How much time? Well, it tells us in, in verse 10 that there were three months and then another two years that ultimately uh, he invests here. What does this tell us? It's not going to happen overnight. We, we would love to be able to knock on someone's door and say, listen, would you have a few minutes? I would love to share with you about how Jesus Christ changed my life and how he can change yours. Oh, come on in. We spend 30 minutes with them going through the plan of salvation, and they're like, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. Can that happen? And has that happened sometimes? It certainly has. But by and large, what we see in Scripture and what you and I on a practical day-by-day -day basis realize is that it's conversation after conversation, emails, letters, phone calls, time in between, praying for them, praying for them, uh, saying, what do you think about this? Uh, have you had a chance to read the passage of Scripture that I gave to you? And, and that's the idea of what's going on here. Uh, we need to persevere, just as I spoke this morning about persevering in prayer. There are other forms of persevering that the Lord wants us to keep in mind, and that is persevering with the person in the sense of trying to disciple them through the Word of God. It'll often be more than one conversation with that neighbor, You'll need multiple chats involving the gospel. 
The words do not demand a heated debate. You don't have to get intense. And in fact, you don't want to get frustrated with them because there is a veil, spiritually speaking, that needs to be lifted. And ultimately, that's something that you can't accomplish. It's only something that God can accomplish through His Word. The entrance of thy word gives what? Light. And so as we continue to give more and more scripture to them, the more help that we give to them. Paul was very clear as he reflects back to the people in Ephesus towards the end when he's headed over uh, at the end of his last ministry there. Uh, he, he stops and he calls for the Ephesian believers to come to him on the shores there. In Acts 20, 20, we'll get to there eventually, but just a little look ahead of that. He tells the elders, he says, I, I have kept nothing back that was profitable unto you. While I ministered with you, I didn't hold anything back that was beneficial to you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. There were days that I stood up and I delivered a Sunday sermon. There are other times that I came around your homes and we sat down and, and I offered to you what can I do to help you from God's word and show you? And then he says, I ceased not in Acts 20, verse 31. I cease not to warn you, everyone, night and day with tears. Paul was personally very invested in this in his heart. He cried over these people. There was a passion in his heart. He wanted them to believe. He wanted them to enjoy what he had. But, you know, like you and I realize, we can't force anyone we can't pressure anyone to genuinely come to salvation no man jesus said no man can come unto me except the father which has sent me draw them but we're ambassadors we give the gospel and we give it passionately but the spiritual conversation also depends fundamentally on god's work thirdly something we see about this is the spiritual continuation Notice verses 9 and 10 here. Despite the disapproval, they did not quit, but they did relocate. They had a little bit of friction. They didn't say, okay, well, we're done here. Who is this Tyrannus? Well, I read several commentaries, and all of them answered basically the same way. We really don't know. But there's some hints here, and that is that Tyrannus was probably a Jewish rabbi because... He has some sort of teaching ministry that is going on. And perhaps Tyrannus became sympathetic to the teachings of Paul, maybe much like a Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. You know, there were rabbis that were hungry, genuinely and sincerely, for what the Word of God really taught and where it would lead them and, and didn't hold up any uh, restrictions on how God would take them. I just want to know the truth. And so he gives them... Paul and his company room to conduct meetings here. You know, God has a way of providing just the right spot. We have seen this ourselves. You know, we had back in uh, 2011, on December 12th, 2011, had a fire. Suddenly we're without a place to meet. You know, almost before we had a chance to pray about it, at least from my standpoint, because it was the very night of the fire. Fire trucks were still on the premises that I had contact from already two individuals, 
one uh, Lee funeral home and another was a, a pastor in the community saying, hey, if your congregation needs a place to meet, you've got a place with us. You can, you can borrow our meeting place. Well, the Lord prompted them to do that uh, very clearly. I think of our, our newest missionaries that we're supporting, Coastline Baptist Church right up here in Shalhoub. You know, dear Brother Jones and his wife Pauline, and come here, Lord prompts the need for a, a good church in, in that vicinity to meet a particular need. Need a place to meet. Finds a hotel conference room, just like we started out uh, back in 1999. Lord provided the days in for them to meet. Realized, well, you know, we need something a little bit bigger. And in a very short time, they found a building and God supplied the funds and allowed us to participate in that along the way. And what a blessing that is. Who's doing that? Fundamentally, God is the one that is doing that. And so we see here in this, this text that this resulted in the spreading of the gospel, people passing through, people passing it on. Maybe there were some people that came and listened to Paul because of him being in the school of Tyrannus that might not have heard otherwise. I was in a video chat with a bunch of pastors in the southeast region this past Thursday morning. We were talking about reopening churches, timing issues. My pastor friend up in uh, Tennessee was saying, he says, we've been using Zoom. He says, and actually we've been able to reach some people by having church offered on Zoom that we would never had, had reached before by having church just in our building. He said, in fact, we had one man trust Christ as his personal Savior through the Zoom meeting as well. You know, God's hand is not short he can't save. He can reach out to people in any way he decides to. There's this wonderful continuation that comes about as God says, I'm going to bless the ministry of the gospel. They were in a population stream here in Ephesus. And so God was bringing individuals to them. Uh, Ephesus was, uh, at that time, it's changed a little bit geographically since then because of, of how the uh, Mediterranean Ocean and things like that is. But uh, port, city, boats coming, ships coming right in, high trade, uh, a lot of individuals from all over the world coming in and out of that city. What a great transient place to be giving the gospel to, never knowing what divine appointments that God might give you. This is God's divine work of continuation. Fourthly, I see a spiritual confirmation. Here's this odd story, if you would, in verses 11 through 17, right in the middle of this, that shows God's power being manifested. Now, there are events of divine intervention here. The miracles here are in line with what I remember the, the story, and you remember the story of the centurion who has an ill servant. He's very concerned about his servant. Maybe it's uh, his right-hand man. There's obviously a, a heart knitting between this, this Gentile centurion, this Roman centurion, and this servant. Because he personally comes to find Jesus Christ and says, you know, I've got this servant, he needs to be healed. He's nearer unto death. And he says, you know, Lord, you, you don't even need to come to my house. Just speak the words, right? We love this story. Just speak the words. He says, because I'm in a man 
of authority and I have people underneath me and I say, go here and do this and come here and, and, and it just happens. He had this kind of understanding and appreciation about the authority of the Son of God as he was speaking to Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus gave him such a glowing commendation as far as his faith that the Lord was uh, moving inside of him, that God was moving inside of him. And so we, we see that God's able to do great things in his planning, in his scheduling, through people. But we also sometimes see, unfortunately, people who try to manufacture and counterfeit and force things outside of God's hand. Here we see presumptuous human activity that is put down with these seven sons of Sceva that is mentioned in verse 14. They watch, see what Paul's doing. They're mesmerized by his, this, uh, this show, perhaps is maybe how they saw it. And perhaps they envied the, what they saw was the admiration that Paul was receiving. No doubt they admired Paul. They assumed everybody else was admiring him. There's definitely a respect here. Paul was never doing anything to gain personal accolades or praise or to build a following. It wasn't about that for Paul. But probably not so for these people. And they began to take upon the, the apostolic ministry that God had particularly moved in Paul and had not indicated that they were supposed to do that. And so therefore they were not under the cover of God's protection. And so you find these demonic evil spirits, this evil spirit that turns upon them, leaps upon them in this way, and causes them in a, uh, an, uh, just what a picture this is. They flee, verse 16, they flee out of the house naked and wounded. Well, even this God uses to a great end. Because verse 17 says, as word spread about what happened there, then there was a real respect for the Word of God, its authentic ministry done under the man of God as God directs him in this way. Promoting Christ's activity is elevated. You know, God can use anything He wants. And God here obviously chose to use simple cloths, handkerchiefs, that we don't see necessarily in other places like this, but here this was the case. I would remind you that God sometimes in the Old Testament said, Moses, you're my man. We need to give water to the people. You've got a rod in your head, hand, smack that rock. Water comes out. Why did the water come out? Because he had a magical rod? No, because of the obedience of, he had to God. He was following by faith God's instructions. Later, when God says, I want you to speak to the rock, and Moses strikes it instead, he is rebuked and punished very seriously for that same act. Now, God, in that case, go ahead, go, goes ahead and furnishes the water because the people did need to drink. But he did make a very strong example of Moses' disobedience and his presumption, even as the man of God. Why? because he was presuming to use God rather than to be used by God. 
Hey, folks, I don't have to tell you that there's probably a lot of people out in the world that hang up the placard of being a preacher of the Word of God, and yet their methods are probably using God rather than being used by God. And we need to be discerning. We need to be people of the Word. And we need to distance ourselves and caution other people about that and pray that God would bring these sorts of ministries to their knees. Bring them to naught. Reveal them for what they really are. We're not to utilize God. We are to be the instruments of God. And so there's a spiritual confirmation. Even though this is a really a tragic incident that happens here, God uses it. Because sometimes as people, we need to be shocked and in awe of what God is doing so that we'll walk better into truth. But the fifth thing I want you to see is the spiritual confession and correction that takes place in verses 18 and 19. Spiritual confession and correction. Like many automobiles that we possess, we, we ride in them for a period of time and they run smoothly. But if yours is like mine, the day comes that you're going down, you know, Highway 31, and you feel this strange vibration that's coming from the, the front right tire. And you're thinking, hmm, that just seems a little bit off. Or maybe you're not getting a bounce from the front right tire, but instead you're, you're going down the road and you just kind of relax your hands a little bit. Your hands are still responsibly on the wheel, but you, you feel that you're, your wheel, your steering wheel is pulling against you and you drift into the next lane unless you keep fighting against that. You know, hopefully you realize, I need to get this in to be looked at. You know, maybe that tire just needs balance. They put it up on their machine, they wheel it around, and they say, okay, a little weight here. That will help bring things back into calibration. Oh, your front end alignment is out. That's why it's pulling to one side. Let's make some adjustments here. We get it back and it works well. Hopefully that's what we understand, and we realize our heart sometimes needs realignment. We move down the road of life, we're, we're, we, we hit the bumps, we have things that happen, and sometimes we realize, okay, I need God's Word to bring me back, I need the Spirit of God to bring me back into a proper alignment. Now here it talks about this, 50,000 pieces of silver is the value of what these people came and disposed of. Now, it doesn't really matter what it is they're getting rid of. I'm pretty sure that th throughout history, humanity is a little hesitant to dispose of something that they say, but I put so much money into this, whatever it might be. So if someone is is doing that, and by the way, some commentators, depending on the coinage here, and we don't really know what pieces of silver uh, they were, but let's just say conservatively, this could have looked like ten to $15,000 worth of merchandise. That's, that's a sizable piece of money. If, if we were to collectively bring merchandise and to see it consumed in a fire like that, that would show some sincerity on our parts that this has no place in our lives anymore. 
I think I've told this story in the past, but when I traveled with Neighborhood Bible Time in the summers, I found myself for one week uh, teaching a group of teenagers. And for the better part of the week, it seemed there was just this hardness. As I would preach, they would sit there, and I felt like they were just staring a hole in me. And my partner and I, we would get together during the day and with the pastor, and we would just pray. And I remember that pastor saying, God, send revival to our youth group. Work in their hearts. And we would just pour out our heart and ask God to just break through. And I'd get up and I'd just preach my heart out to these young people. And I remember it was on Wednesday night. We only had one more night left because it, it ended on a Thursday. And on Wednesday night, I, I, I really didn't have a, I don't think, as I remember right, I didn't have a, a lot of zest left in me at that point. My faith was probably kind of small at that point. But I got up and responsibly preached the gospel. And at the invitation, almost every chair was emptied and the front was filled with teenagers that were just uh, crying and praying and surrendering to the Lord. And I went down and I prayed with some of them. And then at the end, you know, no one wanted to leave. And the pastor came to me and he says, he says, Brother Wood, he says, there's a bunch of these young people that have said that what God has really spoke to them is their, their rock and roll music that they have set up as idols in their heart. He said, and they realize tonight that they need to get rid of this. And I remember telling the young people, if you're serious, bring all your records. That's back when they had records, right? Most of us remember records. Some of the young people, young people today don't even know what CDs are sometimes. They stream everything, but... We remember those vinyl records, don't we? And some of us still have some, like I do, and um, of good stuff. But, but they had the rock and roll music. A lot of it they knew had uh, words that were more honoring to Satan, less, let's put it that way, to put it simply, than it was to the Lord. And I remember some of these young people coming with their wooden crates filled with these vinyl LPs. And we went right out in front of the church parking lot there, and they were just dumping in the jackets, and I remember thinking, wow, this is hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of records these young people were coming. And they were bringing out hammers, and they were smashing them. And then, I don't know if I would redo this again, if I had to do it over again, but it was the pastor's thought. He came out, and he, he poured some accelerant. I don't remember what it was on this pile of records, and lit it on fire. That was a horrible stench when you have vinyl records burning. But those young people didn't back away. I remember we kind of stood around at a safe distance as we watched that, that black soot go up into the air like that. And, and we were just singing praises to God. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. And, and, and just a joyful look. These were young people that just two nights before had hardened expressions on their face. But now God's Holy Spirit had gotten a hold of their hearts and there was a freedom, and there was a joy and a delight. As they had invested babysitting money and errand money and odd job and allowance money and whatever it was, and they were saying, I'm not going back. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Oh, what a joy it is when you see the sincerity of people that say, you know what, nothing is more precious to me than my walk with the Lord and my investment in the kingdom of heaven to come. You know, we can take no personal credit for the divine work of the Lord through His Word. If God has done something through you or for me, or if someone says, oh, I'm thankful for Anchor Baptist Church, well, praise God for that, but I hope that we all realize it's not me.
It's not Pastor Wood. It's not you. It's not Anchor Baptist Church. As Mordecai said to Esther when he was trying to press upon her to go forward and to be an instrument by reaching to her husband, the king, he said, you know, if you don't decide to do this, Esther, if you don't go into the king and, and plead for the case of the Jewish people uh, that they're, they're trying to be wiped out by this evil Haman, then Mordecai said, their deliverance shall arise from another way. You know what? God always has another way of accomplishing his will. It is our privilege to be his instruments. But may we never think that, you know, I'm indispensable in the work of the Lord. No, we're not. God's servants have come and gone, and God's work still goes on. He raises up other people. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. And may we, as we look at what God is doing and see the, the influence and the impact of Scripture, whether it be through our missions, whether it be through Good News Club, whether it be through Wednesday Night Compass Club and, and through Daniel Club and through Sunday School, or whether it be through outreach opportunities that we have or revival services and men's meetings and ladies' meetings. And if people come to know the Lord, may we just stop back and say what David said in Psalm 118, verse 23, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for the influence and the impact of Scripture. Thank you for its influence and impact in our lives. That the Word of God came powerfully to us. And Lord, that the Holy Spirit worked in us and drew us to yourself. And that we can now proclaim with joyful hearts, I'm so glad that I'm part of the family of God. But it's not the credit of any individual human being. It goes all the glory back to you. It is the word of God and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that has changed lives in the past and will go on to do that. And so, Lord, may we be excited and enthused to be part of that process, to be a small cog in the wheel of what you're doing. And, Lord, may we be always careful to give the praise and glory to Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.